0: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Brian Copeland. I'm the Redstone Arsenal Community Readiness and Brazilian Integrator, and today we have the CR2 Podcast with Miss Hoff, who is the uh, Fox Army Health Center Dietitian. How you doing, Miss
1: Hoff? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Holiday season, right? Full swing. Not only is it the holiday season, but individuals will be partaking in things to be social, such as drinking. But December is the uh, Drunk, Drugged, and Driving Prevention Month or the National 3D Prevention Month. So what should we do to keep ourselves safe and healthy? Remember, drink responsibly. And also remember, make sure that you read your prescription drugs directions because a lot of them or some of them may potentially say do not operate a vehicle while taking uh, these medicines and absolutely positively refrain from illicit or illegal drugs while operating a vehicle. But remember, this month is the Drunk Drug and Driving Prevention Month. So back to you, ma'am. How you been?
1: I have been very well. Thank you.
0: Very well. So by you being a dietitian, not only do you support the civilian, but the soldiers. So let me refrain. Soldiers first, and then our civilian workforce, family members as
1: well. Absolutely. The family members.
0: You know, there's a lot of myths associated with with healthy eating and diet. And we know diet, along with exercise, helps keep the pounds away and adds to the longevity of our life. But uh, I would like to discuss some of these myths associated with eating. First, from your perspective, how much does healthy eating and diet play a part in weight loss or the lack of healthy eating and exercise play a part in weight gain? Okay. And is that
1: a myth? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's a myth or if I can really speak to whether or not it is a myth, but a, what I would say is I try to shift away from focusing on weight up or down as the focus of anything that I'm doing with a patient or a client. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And I focus in on health behaviors because that is what I think we all need a little bit more of to help mitigate our current disease state or help with prevention in any way that you can is in the health behaviors. And health behaviors don't have to focus on weight. And sometimes when we shift that focus to weight and we don't see weight change, It has us questioning the value of whether or not I should keep doing this behavior. It's almost why I don't like the word exercise because this word exercise comes with this idea that I need to be, you know, lots of people have a perceived idea of what exercise should look like, right? Versus movement. And we know that movement is very good for our body. When someone exercises or when someone moves their body, they can help blood pressure, and they can help their blood glucose or their blood sugar if they have diabetes. They can improve their sleep by moving more. They can help their arthritis. You know, the recommendation for arthritis is not to, to diagnose and then to stop moving. It's to keep moving within the best that you can. So I try to shift away from words and the focus of weight as much as I can, just because I feel like there's a lot of stigma that's stuck in that And I focus more on health behaviors because again, when we come back to those health behaviors, these are really helpful. When I'm sleeping better and I'm doing good things for my stress management, my stress levels are down and that can impact my health as much as my food can. So I try not to elevate any one thing, even though I work in the space of food, I try not to say, oh, food is where it's all at. It's food, it's movement, it's sleep. It's taking your medicines. If you're already being prescribed medicines, that's a self-care behavior. It's managing your stress, it's taking care of your family. You know, there's behaviors that we wanna focus in on as a whole, holistically.
0: So as we as a society have gotten more educated on health as well as nutrition, why is that important? And why are we talking about the myths and questions associated with nutrition? Why is that a big topic?
1: It's a big topic because we're coming up to the beginning of the year and what we see a lot at the beginning of the year, right, is this idea that I need to have a new year's resolution or I have to have a new start with this new year and we just happen to see diet and movement or what I'm eating and how I'm moving my body tied into a lot of that. So I feel like it's always very important coming up to it to start having these conversations because we hear lots of information about, oh, your health is going to change if you lose weight or if you do this exercise routine or if you eat these foods. But we don't hear about what dieting behavior or restrictive eating can have as negative impacts. So there are negative impacts of being very restrictive with what you're eating or, you know, doing movements that your body, you know, really isn't able to do. Restrictive dieting leads to eating disorders or disordered eating. It leads to what psychological distress that is noted as this preoccupation with food. And so I'm always looking for those things. And so this is a great time of year to just kind of help people take that step back and really ask themselves as I'm approaching whatever I'm looking at for the new year as far as movement and nutrition are concerned, does this really is this really going to serve me or is it going to add to my stress? Is it going to add to, you know, my feelings of, of poor body image? Is it going to add to, you know my mental distress around what I'm eating and my family is eating.
0: You know, you said something about the negative impact and restrictive eating. Once you restrict your, your eating habits, especially from a sugar, you know, because sugar is in a lot of our food, that negative impact is indulgence, a part or a byproduct of with of, of that negative impact.
1: Absolutely. So I think what I hear you saying and and certainly jump in if, if this is not if I'm not hearing you correctly. What I think you're identifying is what a lot of lived experiences are, which is when I avoid something, when I restrict myself from something yes. like sugar. Right. I have this overindulgence when it is available to me. You crash. Yeah. Yes. I got yes. to yes. have it. I got to have it Right. And I think that that is a very true lived experience when you talk to people who have chronically dieted. You often hear stories of not not long-term weight loss, but long-term struggle to maintain whatever restriction they had, right. be it with a specific food group or the total caloric value of their foods. And over time, what you often hear them say is, I've had a lot of weight gain. I've gained over time with each restrictive pattern I've followed, I've lost some weight, when I came off of that restriction, I ate a lot of things. I gained that weight plus more. And now I'm in this cycle. And we do see higher glucose values, so higher blood sugar, when someone is diet cycling like that. So, you know, we want something that's very maintainable without those huge up and downs for our body.
0: So the uh, another myth that I would like to cover. <clears throat> do we need to... Start intermittent fasting.
1: So I hate talking about this, but I love talking about this, right? Like this is one of those things like everybody wants to know. I think what I want everyone to understand right now is that there's not a lot of research. There's not a lot of human research and there's not a lot of long-term research for us to really say that intermittent fasting is something that everyone should be doing. Okay. I do see people pulling into this trend a lot of times or, or utilizing this trend as a way to justify things that they're already doing. So, you know, I think a really great example of that would be when I have someone who's getting up first thing in the morning to get their workout in or their, you know, or their active duty and they're getting their unit PT done. They're rushing from that to work with or without a caffeinated beverage to, to fuel them through that space. They're making it until lunch without their first eating event. And they're looking at it going, I think I'm intermittent fasting. I think that this might be working for me. And I'm always just curious to, you know, you don't have to make any changes that are not, you know, are not useful to you. If it's working for you, then fantastic. But I do find that a lot of people don't feel that that type of eating pattern is working for them. You know, when we're using our body first thing in the morning and we're doing a lot of physical effort, our body wants to repair the damage that we have done and it wants to build lean body mass and waiting until 12 or 1 or 2 in the afternoon after a morning workout might not be the best way to tell your body to do that. Someone who is trying to make sure that they protect their sleep, you know, and getting an adequate amount of 7 to 9 hours of sleep at night, might be fasting, you know, not eating for maybe eight to 12 hours because it feels good to a lot of bodies to stop eating before bedtime and, you know, hopefully not eat while you're sleeping and then get up in the next morning and break that fast. So I just, you know, we got to pull back from that research. There's not a lot there. I don't think it's a one size fits all. Everybody needs to be doing any type of time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting.
0: So do do you not get up in the middle of the night? If you wake up, should you not eat?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know if I would, I would have to individually address that with someone. Okay. Because there is, there are a couple things, there's a couple factors to to consider there. There is night eating. Night eating syndrome, it's a disordered eating pattern that didn't quite make the DSM-5 for an eating disorder. I don't think it's an actual diagnosable eating disorder, but it is something that a lot of people struggle with enough for us to talk about it in the spaces that I'm in. So night eating is a big deal. So we would have to figure out a lot on an individual level. Why are we, you know, why are we waking up in the middle of the night? Are we not eating all day? And so this is the time that our body is finally able to get that signal to us and we're finally able to respond. So I'm not saying you wouldn't eat at night, right? In the middle of the night when you I'm not Yeah, I'm not, I just can't say that we would say, absolutely no, no eating in the middle of the night. We'd have to figure it out. But a lot of times when I'm working with someone who is struggling with getting up in the middle of the night eating, if we plan for eating multiple times throughout the day, the waking hours, they may find that that nighttime struggle is easier.
0: So as you talk about eating multiple times a day, is there a suggested amount of meals That we eat, or is that based on an individual's body and what they want to, what successes they want to get out of eating and the health benefits?
1: If I'm understanding your question, is there a number of times everybody should eat in a day? Yes. And no that that really should be individualized and I would I would give different recommendations to different people at minimum I try to help people find at least 3 eating events throughout the day okay and I with my clients if it's helpful to remove words like breakfast lunch and dinner I will remove words like breakfast lunch and dinner and I talk about specifically eating events and so we might start with 3 with the goal of six. But one of the things that I talk about in my performance nutrition class is that sometimes we can time our eating events so that we don't have to add extra events. What I mean by that is, you know, maybe you've heard of it because it's definitely in the military space where we'll say, oh, drink a glass of chocolate milk after a workout. Have you ever heard that one?
0: Right, absolutely.
1: Why do we tell them that?
0: Um, To replenish what we've expended during our workout.
1: One hundred percent. We want to get the carbohydrates and the protein back into the body that we know that the body needs. Some people can't tolerate milk products and they're and they're lost thinking, well, maybe I'm supposed to drink this anyway, even though I have lactose intolerance and I'm going to be in the water closet all <laughs> afternoon. Right. 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 So sometimes what we can figure out is we can figure out, well, if I put a turkey sandwich in my car or if I only live 10 minutes from my gym Does that rule still apply? Do I still need to drink a glass of chocolate milk after a workout? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's individualized. This is what we want to figure out is how many eating events do you need? And it's probably not going to look like mine and it might not look like somebody else's. And it can be individualized and we can all be eating a number of times a day that feels adequate and appropriate to us and what we're doing.
0: And I ask that question. and I say that even as a myth, you have physical fitness experts, you know, and fitness trainers that say, well, to, to prevent yourself from overindulging at lunch or these, these predetermined times, if you eat several times throughout the day, then you won't, uh, excuse me you won't overindulge which will could impact and I use the word could excuse me could have a negative impact on your body and associated weight gain so that's one of the things that I was always concerned with and I have to be I have to be honest if you're not educated which is this is an extremely helpful Podcast and information that you're presenting to the audience, because I've become a victim of those myths. Some of these things that fitness trainers and what you read, as you talked about individuality work for me. So I don't overindulge. Now I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of waking up at night and eating something. I'm guilty of that. Which kind of disturbs my sleep, but that's another subject. But I'm guilty of that, and as we talk about times of eating, another myth is people should stop eating by seven seven p.m. or another cut off time. And I'm guilty of that as well. I try to follow those preconceived ideas or points that I've heard.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great myth. I hear it all the time. So your body can and will always digest the food that you eat. There, It is not saying, oh, it's seven o'clock at night. I, I will no longer digest this food, okay? So this is another area where we really want to figure out what our own individual body needs and we wanna respond appropriately. So I always tell everybody, if your body is signaling to you that you're hungry and you're picking up on that, that is an appropriate time to be eating. What we might have in discussion in a one-on-one appointment is we might talk about what feels like an appropriate food to have at that time or an appropriate amount of food to have at that time. You know, I'm probably, if I wake up in the middle of the night from my sleep that I'm so hungry that my body needs me to respect that it is hungry, I may not get up and make, you know, like waffles and an omelet. That's a lot of effort, but I might eat something like a cheese stick to give me some protein or i might eat a bowl of cereal with you know carbohydrates and protein from the milk those might be really easy go to things if i found myself in that situation there are people like people with diabetes who may benefit if they're on insulin therapy for their diabetes that may benefit from having a, a having an eating event one to 2 hours before they go to bed and it actually impacts them in a In a positive way where they see lower fasting glucose the next morning so they might be thinking oh i need to be eating closer to bedtime versus someone who has acid reflux or gastroesophageal reflux who really benefits from having some time to digest and no food present for two to three hours before they lay down or they're going to be laying in that state of reflux which is absolutely uncomfortable so these are just two different scenarios in which one might have to time their eating events differently compared to their bedtime, just given the things that are present in their body.
0: So if you do wake up in the middle of the night hungry um, because your body is signaling that, yep. are, are there any recommended foods that may not be too heavy, such as is peanut butter a good thing to eat because it fills you it's calories depending on how much you eat but are any other recommended foods that we can take in the middle of the night or even as a snack after we eat prior to seven o'clock as a snack, is there any recommended foods?
1: Well, and it can be, remember, it can be after seven o'clock. Like we okay. didn't say, like we don't have to follow to seven o'clock. We're not restricted. Yes, we're not restricted. Um, so that would be something that you you actually, in your question, you kind of brought up a really interesting solution that someone could try. So if someone is struggling with waking up in the middle of the night, very hungry, they might try timing an eating event otherwise known as a snack, before they go to bed. And then you might pay attention to what foods feel like that good choice for me. Perhaps if I ate an apple, like just the carbohydrates of the apple isn't going to be very filling for very long because that's the nature of how carbohydrates are. But if I paired an apple with that peanut butter... I might now feel like it is more satisfying. And if you're going, well, I really didn't want the apple anyway. Well, then you could just have the peanut butter if that makes you happy. Right. So I would just say you really want to feel your food feelings. You want to start to feel. How you're feeling about the the choices that you're making. Does um, peanut butter on toast sound better to you? Does it feel like it keeps you fuller for longer? Do you notice that you stay asleep longer without waking up? Hungry, So you can always, you know, do your own data collection, do your own investigative work on yourself. Let me see what I'm going to try. Let me see if having a snack two hours before I go to bed helps me stay asleep. Let me experiment with what that snack looks like. Let me make sure there's some source of carbohydrate mixed with some source of fat and or protein because fat and or protein help me stay fuller for longer. Let me see how that goes.
0: So apples, and I, I never realized this, apples along with other fruits, if you don't mind me asking, do not keep you full. What, what other fruits as you talked about that? And I know it's an individual thing, but from a from a educated perspective through experience, what other fruits Does, do bananas? Keep you fuller than apples, or is that an individual thing?
1: I think that would be individual. I can tell you that if it's me, so I can only speak for my individual experience, right? Any fruit, I love all the fruits. I don't think that there's a fruit I don't enjoy, but they're mainly carbohydrates. Some of them have more fiber than others, so I might feel a little fuller for a little longer with that fiber, you know, so an apple versus a banana may feel more filling, but I find all fruit to unfortunately be something that doesn't last for very long. I love all the fruit, but I find that if I put a protein or a fat with my fruit, I am more satiated for a longer period of time than if I were to eat the fruit alone.
0: Will these, and they always say, here's a myth. I kind of, I don't want to call it a myth, but uh, you know, individuals will say that fruit is a, is great for weight loss. Okay. <laughs> so is that a myth or is that true?
1: I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I don't think that there's any one food that is specifically better for weight loss than another food is what I would say.
0: Okay. As we talk about any other food or uh, or maybe fruit, vegetables... Should we eat more fresh vegetables? and um, should we only look to buy fresh foods when we go shopping?
1: I'm so glad that you asked this because this is my favorite question because I really have learned. So that is something that I've said to a lot of clients and I've I've said to a lot of patients, you know, let's shop the perimeter, let's only choose the fresh foods. And I really do believe that that comes from a place of privilege and a little dismissive of the fact that we are all struggling to keep a good budget when it comes to our eating. That by making such a generalized comment, we're dismissing foods in the middle of the grocery store that are full of vitamins and minerals and can help all of us meet our own goals about eating fruits and vegetables. And when we say something like eating them only fresh, unfortunately I feel like I probably have harmed a lot of people in keeping them from getting to the middle of the grocery and finding the fruits and vegetables that would have worked better for maybe their digestive tract or their family budget or their own food preferences. So I encourage everyone now to explore your canned options and explore your frozen options and get in the middle of the grocery store.
0: Is there so as we do that, you know, the other thing that is being said or informed that other things that they're informing personnel within within our society is canned foods along with frozen foods Mm -hmm. have a lot of preservatives in them and a lot of sodium that is harmful. And as you talked about getting in the middle of the grocery store. So now I count calories. Mm. I look at preservatives. I look at, do I go to the grocery store and go to the deli section and get the lunch meat because it contains a lot of preservatives and or sodium is and and I find myself doing those same things but as but you're saying we're free, if you do that then you're forgetting about the healthy options or, or the health benefits associated with these foods so eating turkey from the deli that comes, sorry, they have to crack the pack or open up the pack is not as bad as we suspect. Cause I'm going back to start getting honey, honey roasted turkey.
1: Okay, so what I want us all to be able to do is I want us to remove the moralization of food. There's not good, there's not bad, there's just food. And you're going to pay attention to you and you're going to pay attention to your food feelings and all that that entails. And then you're going to learn to make choices in the grocery, on your plate, at the restaurant that feels good. That being said, you are allowed to look at all the different deli meat options and to pick the one that's lowest in salt If you have high blood pressure or congestive heart failure or you just don't like salt like that, you're allowed to pick that. It could feel like a really good choice, right? Yes. It's fast. It's convenient. It's a great protein source when I don't have time to cook a chicken because sometimes I just don't have time to cook a turkey or a chicken, right? Right, right, yes. And so we have to just, we have to remove the moral the moralization of the food, and we have to connect with our food feelings and start making choices. I may choose deli meat, it is higher in sodium, but I might make my own oatmeal for breakfast because I noticed that the pre-made oatmeals also contain a higher amount of sodium than if I were to make it myself. And here I've created a balance where I've allowed myself to have this thing that felt like a quote-unquote bad choice balancing it with some other food choices I'm going to make in a way that doesn't trigger me to also feel that remember that deprivation mindset of well if I'm not allowed to have it and then all of a sudden it's available or I'm off my diet it's the only thing I can think about it's the only thing I'm craving it's the only thing I'm eating and now I feel out of control with that food
0: balance that was a key word that's very important very enlightening too so everyone as we think about what it is that we want to eat your full feelings aid in that decision making with balance absolutely with balance so look so so everyone please this was a very informed podcast please take what we've learned apply it to yourself in your own individual health, wellness, and diet plans, get in touch with your food feelings and whatever you do, make an informed decision and always utilize balance in whatever you do and whatever you eat. Thank you, ma'am. This has been very informative to us. And I would like, again, as we leave the holidays and we get into the summer months and things that we want to do to better our health and our welfare and our and our overall ability to be mentally, physically, holistically health. I would like to have you back and we conduct another part to this. Anytime. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you.